about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. reading from John chapter 1, verse 6 to 17. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Sorry. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here ends the reading. Good morning, friends. Great to be with you. I'm just going to grab a sheet I dropped. We are continuing our walk through this wonderful part of John's Gospel, the prologue. Uh, As David spoke about it last week, this is the special edition kind of background cut to what is happening in the Christmas story, and it deeply enriches what we see and experience over the next couple of weeks, and in carols even this evening, if you're coming along to that. Christmas is an interesting time. It's full of promise, but often kind of leaves us feeling a little bit hollow. That's how I describe it. That's actually how, exactly how I describe Christmases growing up. I grew up outside of the church, and for me, Christmas um, provided something warm and, and lovely, but ultimately, at the end, I always felt a bit hollow and empty. I remember that feeling, even as an, an eight-year-old or a, a nine-year-old, playing with presents and longing for things. You know, this time of year, it's full of glitter and wonderful things, and that we do get lifts and joy and happiness, but often they're just, you know, like a Dolly Parton Christmas special or a... Hallmark Christmas movie, or a cheap mince tart from a supermarket, or an English World Cup run. 
ultimately unsatisfying. Pretty but useless. Lifting and depressing kind of all at once. And we could point to consumerism this time of year and the, the shallowness, the emptiness of that, or to the frustration and anxiety of family gatherings, perhaps, and the anticipation and the, the letdown of those things, or the fact that kind of a lot of us have blue Christmases every year, longing for people we miss and to be with them again. You know, all kinds of things. Often people say we enter into a state of languishing this time of year. We set goals through Christmas and get to the end and kind of fall off the precipice kind of a bit depressed bit hollow. And, you know, when I was looking online, the solutions to this were really interesting. Go, walk a, uh, you know, go watch a Hallmark Christmas movie. Go distract yourself. Go set New Year's goals. You need new goals for a new year. Basically, ignore the feeling. Numb it. Push it down. You know what? I actually think the feeling of emptiness that Christmas gives us is actually wonderful preparation. Advent, as it's been celebrated in church history as I've been reading in Fleming Rutledge's sermons this year in my Advent devotions, is traditionally about feeling the dissonance and disappointment of this world, of sensing the things that aren't quite right in our lives and in the world's life, and longing for the coming of Christ to come. Not numbing ourselves to these realities, but sitting with them. Because ultimately, the thing we get to celebrate at Christmas, and this is the line that struck me as I was reading John 1 this year, is that not that there is fullness in us, but instead that it is out of his fullness that we receive grace in place of grace already given. We can be empty because he is full. As it says in Colossians, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So friends, if you're feeling a little bit hollow empty today, that's good. Let's launch into John 1. And let's see what the fullness of Christ entering the world means for us today. I've got four things for you today. For this fullness, we need to receive him and his fullness by believing. Believing what? That the true light has entered the world and his fullness has come in our flesh and he is full of grace and truth. First thing, we need to receive him by believing. Now, John 1's really interesting and I've always found this fascinating. Uh, In case you missed last week, it's not in the outline, but you could open a Bible and open John 1 and it begins in a very high, abstract, wonderful manner. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Everything was made through him. Nothing has been made that was not made through him. It's wonderful and abstract and big. And then before we launch into what that means and what that means for our world, something strange happens. The prologue actually introduces a different character. This man named John, verse 14, verse 6, sorry, this, who was sent from God. And it's kind of strange because you could, you could almost delete verses 6 to 8 from the prologue and it would work fine. I mean, verse 15 about John as well is literally parenthetical. It's in parentheses in our English version. You could just delete them out and it'll be fine. You're like, what? Why is this? Why is John the Baptist inserted into the prologue? And the answer is that you will miss everything that happens in the prologue unless you actually choose to believe. See, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
And he came, why? As, as a witness to testify concerning that light. What? So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. This is really interesting. The eternal word of God, the eternal word of the Father, is coming into the world. But the word needs a word. The word needs a witness. The word needs someone to point to it so that we depend and trust in it. See, what this is introducing is that Jesus' entrance into the world was not received, was not obvious, was not apparent. Its significance, its power, its beauty, its majesty. And so there needed to be another voice, John's voice, calling out and witnessing, here is the light. He was in the world, that is the true light of the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, this insertion of John the Baptist slows us down for a second. And makes us just stop reading this as if this is an interesting theological textbook. And get to the reality that if we do not believe this, then it is nothing to us. If we don't receive this, then it is nothing to us. Because when the word entered the world, he was not recognized, even though the world was made through him. He came to his own, to the Jewish people who should be expecting him, and they didn't receive him either. You see, every Christmas the same thing happens. There's a chance we will miss it all. Because it needs to be received, dependent upon. Here's where your emptiness is very helpful. Coming empty to this, needy, dependent, longing, unsatisfied. That's the right place to read the prologue. Because to all who do receive him, what do they get? They get the right to become children of God. A status and a position that no present no reality, no goal you set this year could give you. A reality that a husband couldn't get, nor the will of the flesh, born of God, children of God. As Augustine said, reflecting on this, for your sakes the word was made flesh. For your sakes, he who was the son of God was made the son of man, that you who were the children of men might be made children of God. That is what we can receive and believe at Christmas. But the reality we're starting to get here is that is not our natural bent. And why is that? What is that about? Well, the phrase we see just before that is a wonderful one we can dwell on. Verse 9. The reality of the word entering the world, the reality of Christmas is that the true light has entered the world. Verse 9, the true light that gives life, light to everyone, was coming into the world. He slowed us down by talking about John, then, then lands this wonderful punch on us. The true light, not the half light, not the phony light, not the back light, not a fluorescent light, the true light. 
the source of all moral purity, the eternal, holy, majestic light of the eternal God, the light from whom all light comes, shining brightly for all eternity, has invaded the world as the Word becomes flesh. Here is the wonderful reality of Christmas. Eternal light has invaded the temporary darkness of this world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But here is where the problem lies, too. Here is the light that we do not recognize, the the light we don't receive, the, the, the light we don't naturally believe in. It becomes apparent later in John's Gospel why that is, in John 3, 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We are fundamentally darkness. That's what the coming of the light means for us. It brings a verdict upon us and upon our world. That there is not a true light in us. There is no natural true light residing in the world. This is contrary to many spiritual beliefs of the the, the New Age arena that claim that there is a true light that just naturally dwells in us. Here is a vastly different statement that the true light enters the world at a certain point as an invasion on darkness. That in the birth of Jesus, unmistakably and irreversibly, the true bright light has broken into the darkness. And the darkness is us. Yet did you notice here the way it's phrased? The true light that gives light to everyone. It's wonderful. It's like, it's like what's being described here is the experience of tasting the fullness of Jesus. It's like being lit up. It's like when you come into contact with him, you realize that you were in the dark the whole time. It's like someone suddenly turning the lights on or, or the sun finally rising after the darkness of winter. To be in his presence is to experience moral, holy, majestic light. To no longer walk in darkness. We have this, it's really interesting watching lights go up everywhere. Because it's just, it's so interesting our relationship with Christmas lights. And the way that they draw us upwards. And there's this almost this promise in them of a transcendence. They're high, they're bright, they bring wonder. That's what Jesus is like. He is the transcendent light. The wonderful one who lifts us above ourselves in our pettiness, out of our darkness, so we might become children of his light. Here is great news for our dark world and our dark, empty hearts. They can be filled with his light. But we have to receive it. We have to believe it. Because it is so easily dismissed. And we are so easily dwell in our own darkness. 
But what, what it means for the light to enter the world is that his fullness, the fullness of the eternal word, the true light, he came in our flesh. The next wonderful phrase in this prologue, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. The Word who just was, through whom everything became. He becomes. He takes upon him in his own infinite transcendent power the flesh he made for all of us. In his freedom, in the power of God's Spirit, the Word becomes flesh. Flesh in the Bible, it's, it's a word often about human weakness, actually. About the fragility of the jelly that holds us together. Of these bodies prone to death and disaster that are a mess of desires. You know, he came into a world like ours, not sitting above it, but entering into it. He lived in it. He took on a family like yours, in a, in a place, in a house, in a local environment to do real work, taking on the connections and complications of life, a life vulnerable to fire, to destruction, to death, and to sin. This true eternal light, the fullness, the word became flesh in his freedom. You know, that, that, that word for dwelling among us. This is the most Australian Christmas verse in the Bible, I realized this week. The most Australian Christmas verse. Because the word for dwelling is for pitching a tent, which is what we do it. We go, you know, we go out camping at Christmas time, right? This is, this is our verse, friends. The word became flesh and he pitched a tent among us. It's a really important little word because it points backward into the older story of the Old Testament when God did, they did pitch a tent for God that he dwelled in. It was called the tent of meeting. And here's the moment when it, God enters it. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There was a flimsy tent that God took residence in amongst his people Israel. He pitched a tent with them. But notice how even Moses... That great friend of God, he couldn't even go in. He couldn't even get into the tent. It was so filled with the glory of God. But what's happened to us? God has pitched a tent again. That's so different, isn't it? He became flesh. He dwelled among us. And notice the shift here. We, it's the first we in the, in the prologue. We, this is another voice, not John's voice, John the Baptist's voice, but the author's voice, the, the, the voice of those who walked with Jesus. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, this tent that God has pitched, you can walk up to, you can touch. You could eat with it. You could hear it. You could see it. You could experience it. This wasn't glory that you couldn't approach. This is glory you could grab the hold of. The word has become flesh and his glory can be seen. It is the glory of the one and only son. Not just 
any glory, the unique glory of the Word, the, the Father's Word, who is sent from the Father, full of the Father's grace and truth. God has made his dwelling among us. His glory is knowable, approachable, seeable, touchable, receivable, believable. His fullness, his eternal fullness, can be seen and known. And how did he come, friends? How did he come? He came full of grace and truth. He didn't come full of of anger, disappointment, and unhappiness. He came full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, it says, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This word isn't used much through the rest of John's gospel. But here is John's summary of what the entry of the word into the world meant, of what the true light shining in the darkness meant. It meant grace. It meant unmerited favor. It meant faithfulness and kindness. And I love how it's grace in place of grace already given. And then it mentions the law given through Moses. It points back again to the old story to the long history of God's dealing with his people, of the grace of being summoned into relationship with God through the law, through the covenants, and being summoned to be God's special people. Here is a new grace, a new summoning, a grace that replaces and fulfills and and bursts open that grace. The grace of becoming God's children of God coming to physically dwell with his people forever. That is what came in Jesus Christ. Here is the extraordinary kindness, faithfulness, and the true appearance of God's glory in our empty and broken world. Do you feel empty today? in the midst of the Christmas things happening around you. You know, there was someone else who felt a little bit lonely and empty at Christmas, one Christmas. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was in prison uh, under Nazi rule, having been involved in a few things that he shouldn't have been involved in in the Nazis' sight. And uh, three months before he got in prison, he got engaged. And we have this wonderful set of letters that he wrote to his fiancée, in the midst of his imprisonment. And a few of them are about Christmas. Here's my favorite. This is Diedrich talking to his fiance. I used to be very fond of thinking up and buying presents. But now that we have nothing to give, the gift God gave us in the birth of Christ will seem all the more glorious. The emptier our hands and our hearts and our minds, poorer our quarters, the more clearly we perceive that our hearts should be Christ's home on earth. Are you feeling a little bit empty and unsatisfied? Your empty hands, your empty heart, your poor quarters, that's how you receive the true light. That's how you get to know the word made flesh. 
That's how you receive the grace in place of the grace that's already been given. That's how you become a child of God. So as you walk through the rest of this season, do not let it pass you by. Stop when you see the Christmas lights and remind yourself the true light has come in the darkness. When family feels disappointing, exhausting, anxiety-provoking, remind yourself, this is not the perfect family, but I belong to it now because the Word was made flesh and now I'm a child of God. When God feels distant and you're not sure what to do with Him, remind yourself, the Word became flesh, took on your flesh, that you might become a child of God. In your emptiness, receive again His fullness. It's out of His fullness that we've received grace in place of grace already given. Let's pray. Father, we come empty, acknowledging the manifold ways we experience the darkness of our own hearts and the darkness of our world and the disappointments of this time of year. And we ask by your Spirit that the true light in our emptiness might shine in us, that we might sense and know the glory of Jesus, that we might, by your Spirit's testimony, know in the bottom of our souls that we are now children of you, our Father. And so in our emptiness, meet us with the fullness that you have given us in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.